an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. Good afternoon to one and all to another insightful episode of Ultimate Global Podcast. And in today's episode, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, uh, B2B marketing, B2B sales. That's what I do um, in a startup in Sydney. And I always love to interact with people who are also in the same field because there is always something new to learn from people who are in the same field, who are doing similar kind of stuff. So the topic that we are touching upon today is how demand generation is paving the way for B2B marketing. And to discuss on this topic, I've got George, who is also in, based in Sydney, and he's running his own podcast, on, which is called B2B Playbook Podcast. And uh, it's a very specific podcast uh, towards B2B marketing. And he's already been discussing a lot of topics there with different kinds of people. So I think it will be great to know, first of all, George, uh, you know, give your brief introduction and also tell a bit about what this uh, B2B Playbook Podcast is. Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here. It was great that we connected over LinkedIn and I can see we had a lot of common interests. And so I'm excited for us to have a great conversation today all around B2B marketing about our uh, different experiences. The B2B playbook is really our playbook or our framework that we call the five Bs uh, that allows in-house marketers to put in place what we call a demand generation strategy. Now, Demand generation, I think, is a bit of a fancy term for what is traditionally known as brand marketing, but it's brand marketing that is tied to revenue at the end of the day. And it's had somewhat of a resurgence in the last couple of years, particularly in the US. You won't hear demand generation be thrown around a lot uh, in Australia, but in the US, there's a real shift towards this demand generation movement. And what demand generation is for those that don't know? Well, let's picture that you have a product and out of that product, there's a 100% total addressable market. Now, of that total addressable market, maybe only 3% is ready to buy right now. And the issue with just competing for that 3% is that you are competing essentially with your competitors, right? Everyone is competing for the same pool of people that wants to buy right now. So it's like jumping in a pool full of sharks. And what that means is that it's very hard to get good sustainable growth. Because if you're just focusing on that limited pool of people and a whole lot of other people who are competing for it, well, it's very difficult to scale sustainably. Your cost per acquisition goes up. Uh, it's hard to get attention from these people. Your sales cycles take longer. So demand generation is effectively looking at the other 97% of the market, the people who aren't yet ready to buy. And how can we be a Sherpa? How can we usher them on that buying journey? build so much trust with them. So at the end of the day, when they're ready to buy, they come to us and they don't even look at their competition. And now the B2B playbook is our way of sharing exactly how people can implement this in their own business. Yeah, wonderful. I think um, that's a fantastic idea of how you can just start a podcast on a specific topic. Um, and B2B itself has got a lot of things to explore on. First of all, I would definitely love to know from you, George, uh, that you might have discussed this with different speakers as well. 
um, I'm, I'm sure that demand generation um, is, is pretty difficult in B2B marketing and, you know, targeting the right people and generating the right kind of demand in the market. Um, do you have any comments on that part? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it can be a challenge. And I think the reason why a lot of people give up on it and don't see it through fully is one, they don't do the work to deeply understand their customers. So customer research is such a foundational aspect of demand generation. And uh, a lot of people either don't put the effort into it or they just go and talk to sales to try and get customer insights. But what we really encourage, encourage marketers to do is to go and talk to the customers themselves because that's the only way you're going to truly figure out their pain points. And the way you build relationships is you figure out how to help people. So if you know their pain point, well, then you know how you can then help them. And then that's that perfect blend of all of a sudden we're starting to build a relationship. Now, the second reason why a lot of people find it difficult to implement in businesses is they are often tracking the wrong metrics. So anytime you start a, uh, a content program for your business, and sort of, I don't know if you've had experience in this, but well, and actually, I know you have had some experience in this. Often when you go to uh, execute your content strategy, if you are tracking and training your boss, your boss to track the wrong metrics, then they're going to kill off that content program. If you're tracking them to, if you're training them to track metrics like views, likes, uh, shares, how much revenue has been generated, that if you're trying to do that in the first three to six months, your boss is not going to see that, and they're going to kill off that program. So, focusing on the wrong metrics is another reason why those programs really get killed off. Absolutely. And I think defining the metrics is so important in B2B because uh, I've personally done B2B marketing and B2B sales. Um, and it, it, it can become difficult for you to, first of all, define the metrics and secondly, implement well on those metrics, especially if you have limited resources. So I think if and that will vary from a large company to a mid-tier company to a startup. Um, so, for example, I've had a B2B tech sales experience in a startup. I think in startup, it might be a bit different when you have limited resources. But when you go to a large company and you have more people to look after different things uh, and different metrics, the things might become a bit uh, systematic and easy. What do you have to say on that part? Do you have uh, did you have got any chance of having a conversation on this differentiation of metrics uh, of B2B in a startup versus in a large MNC? Yeah, I'll think I'll just say for demand generation specifically, um, if you have a demand generation program in place, really the metrics that you're tracking from small to big should be really, really similar. So I don't think that actually really needs to change that much when you're evaluating the success of a demand generation program. Now, of course, the metrics that you track depending on the maturity of the demand generation program will change. I mean, that first zero to three months, you're absolutely not going to see any revenue or hard revenue off the back of that. But a mature gener demand generation program that's 18 months in progress, then absolutely, you'll be able to start to at least qualitatively see the impact of that work um, on your bottom line revenue. Um, and uh, what have been the different uh, strategies that uh, you have been um, using personally when you are trying to get the new leads 
or uh, kind of get your prospective customers and make that uh, prospect pipeline or lead pipeline for your customers. Have you been trying some new ways of doing that? Well, I actually think that the old school, most traditional ways really work. Uh, we try and stay, we stray away from hacks and tricks. For the longest time, Saurabh, I used to think that the great marketers are the ones who are tricky and hacky. But what I realized um, after a lot of exploration, a lot of testing, is that that never leads to long-term sustainable growth. So we always take it back to three really main fundamental principles of marketing. And when I sort of realized after all the reading, all the testing I've done, that this is how simple B2B marketing can be, I almost felt cheated to and lied to. I mean, after my journey, I feel like marketing generally is, number one, truly deeply understanding the customer and their pain points. Number two, building relationships and trust with them. And right now, content is an amazing way of doing that. And number three, building a feedback loop between yourself and that customer. So you understand that customer better than your competitors. And the customer that understands, so the business that understands the customer better than their competitors is going to be the one that builds more trust. And they're going to be the ones that the customer ends up buying from. So it's really those very simple three principles that we try and stick to. Now, how are we doing that for the B2B playbook and our own business right now? Uh, each week, I reach out to a whole host of B2B marketers based in Australia. Uh, I jump on a call with them and ask them if they'd be interested in having a chat just um, about our podcast and about what issues it is that they're experiencing in their everyday job. And that way I get a real insight into their pain points. Uh, I, of course, record that all in a spreadsheet. We go away then and then we supplement our existing content to make sure that we are hitting those pain points. And I post daily on LinkedIn, uh, which really addresses those pain points. Uh, our B2B playbook also in its episodes addresses those pain points too. And then the way that we create that feedback loop is, well, the more that we post, the more that we hit those pain points, the more qualitative feedback we get from people on what's resonating, what's working for them, and the more we know what to lean into. So ultimately, we end up building these really strong relationships with people. They end up getting introduced to me, what it is that we do, and then to our business. And then at the point where they become a customer, they're almost friends. So it makes selling very, very easy. And they've already really bought into demand generation and what it is that we do, because all that education has already happened on the podcast end. Now, traditionally, as you know, five, 10 years ago, and a lot of it still happens today. Sales is tasked with doing a lot of the education, but the buyer wants to get a lot, of, a lot of that information themselves. Now, buyers don't want to have to sit there on a sales call and hear the salespeople talk to them about uh, their problems and their product. They want to do a lot of that discovery themselves. And so that's really a lot of what we're doing is we're putting information out there so those people can educate themselves. We're developing a lot of one-to-one, one-to-few relationships. And then at the point where they're, I guess, actually very well educated on us, what we do, we're friendly, then the selling really takes care of itself. Yeah, so I think uh, these are very valid points that you have just touched based upon, George. Um, but I wanted to know from you, uh, in terms of the demand generation, the different ways you know that we utilize to generate demand in B2B, for example, 
people are still doing cold calling, which kind of has its own debate. Uh, some of the people say that cold calling has become quite old, but some of the people still rely on cold calling and their businesses do well. Personally, I feel that it varies from business to business. Um, and it just depends on, as you pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, that it depends on the customer research as well. You know, what your customers are responding well to. Are they responding well to a cold call? Are they responding well to a direct email? Um, or are they responding well to word of mouth marketing? You know, for example, um, in my industry, word of mouth marketing and referral marketing kind of works the best. And that's why we focused on building a referral system in our um, company recently so that we can make use of um, that thing. Because when we kind of did the customer research and also surveyed that, most of the customers will buy the product when they listen it from someone else in the same industry using the, using the system. Because they feel then uh, they, that adds more credibility to what we are saying rather than me just calling them, giving them a random call and trying to convince them. Sometimes, um, you know, our general survey suggests that it kind of doesn't work. Um, but again, you know, it is not working in this industry, but it can work in the other industry. So what do you have to say in this regard um, in terms of the different methods that we use of cold calling versus direct emails or word of mouth? I think you really nailed it there. You said it, it all comes back down to your customer research. So your cold calling is going to be more successful if you've actually done the work to understand that customer and their pain points. I mean, sure, like it's going to take a lot more cold calls, probably a lot more time uh, to get that answer and get that yes. But as you said, it definitely has its place. Email is the exact same thing. Direct mail is the same thing. It's really just about deeply understanding your customer first. I think particularly in the SaaS world um, and really in a lot of different industries, your insight there, I absolutely agree with it. People tend to work on referrals and buy from other people. And this has been termed uh, dark social. Dark social is really all the areas that people go to and the communities they hang out in where they go and ask peers or other communities for reviews on what product or service it is that they should use. Um, people, I think, less and less are using things like Google, Google and going to like top 10 CRM reviews because we don't trust that anymore. What we do is we trust our peers. And the rapid adoption of social media platforms like LinkedIn means that we're actually able to connect with peers in a way that we've never been able to before. So sorry for you to find other people in your position at a similar company facing similar problems to you and asking them for a solution uh, or for a solution to a particular problem you'll have in a particular piece of software, you're able to do that now and you're able to get that recommendation. And that recommendation of them saying, yeah, we used that solution, it worked really well, here are the results, that's so much more powerful than being able to get into you know, a top 10 ranked site uh, on Google. So I think you're absolutely right that what you want to do is you want to drive that word of mouth as powerfully as possible. And we really feel that demand generation is what does that. And the reason that it does that is because it starts with that customer research and it starts with helping prospects as much as possible, helping them as much as possible uh, in a way that really no one else is doing. And so a key part of that is there's this movement to ungate content. Now, for those that don't know, uh, gating content is where basically you 
you uh, have a great piece of research. It might be like a lead magnet is another name for it. And people or companies require you to put in your name, email address, passport details, you know, all that kind of thing uh, before you get access to that report. And then that then get passed, gets passed on to sales and then sales then use it as a way of calling you. But why are we hiding all of this amazing expertise and knowledge behind an email gate? There are so many people who could have benefited from reading that research and then associating that great research, that great intel, that great helpful information with your brand. And by gating that content, you are effectively stopping a whole host of a whole lot of people from going ahead and consuming it. Now, those kinds of things are roadblocks when it comes to demand generation, because the purpose is to be so helpful to show that you understand the customer so deeply that in those conversations that you're having, Saurabh, when someone's asking you for a solution, you're going to come to mind as that brand that is the most helpful because you've ungated all of this content, because you're willing to help at every opportunity. And I was just about to come to that part only that um, we generally talk about marketing in two different ways. One is push marketing. Another one is pull marketing strategies. You know, there are two different kinds of strategies. Um, what I always think is cold calling is more towards a push strategy where we are trying to push a product towards a customer by making them a call. But again, it depends on different factors. You know how um, you have made the call, what kind of conversation you have had. Um, because sometimes a cold call can be done in a very polite way, in a very gentle way, uh, which doesn't feel like a push strategy, but still feels like a pull strategy. And you're trying to become, uh, you know, promote your brand rather than just selling it. So some of the other ways, you know, in pull marketing that we have been trying, and of course, you know, uh, people try it in marketing is, of course, running some catchy social media advertisements running advertisements on Google ads, through Google ads, and also trying to become an expert in the industry by actually generating content which your industry needs. So actually delving deeper and understanding what your customers actually want to read uh, and how can you portray your product or your company as an expert, not only targeting through your product, but also targeting through other kinds of blogs, or other kind of things on your website, which kind of makes you an expert in that particular industry. And I think that's what we tried in our company, and um, which has been working pretty well, because now, even if somebody might not buy the product, but they still see us as an expert in the industry. And at some point of time, after reading the blogs a couple of times, they might want to come to us and say, what's this product all about? Um, and we want to know more about this. So that's kind of a pull strategy that we have not actually asked them to buy a product, but because they consider us as an expert and we have promoted our brand in a way that um, that is really attractive, they want to buy the product. I'm sure you might have faced similar things as well before. Yeah, absolutely. So for us, for our clients, we always look to build their expertise. That's really what demand generation is all about is being as helpful as possible. But of course, by being helpful, you are showing off your expertise. Now, the way that we used to use paid media is very different to how we use it now. So I traditionally came from a more uh, B2C background where everything was direct response. So that's like really mostly all push, push, push marketing. And I used to think it was everything. 
And then I realized the limits that essentially push marketing, you are mostly capturing existing demand. For push marketing to work, you really have to have someone who is very problem aware and if not like pretty much ready to solve that problem right now. The way that we look at paid media now 